This is a podcast from Minute Media. Silver and Black Flashback with your host, author of the Raiders Encyclopedia, Rich Schmelter. Murph, my man, as always, thanks so much. And thanks to you, Raider Nation, for once again tuning in to Silver and Black Flashback, dedicated to our beloved bad boys. Now, for the next few episodes of Flashback, we are going to honor the amazing Cinderella story of the 1980 Oakland Raiders, a team that virtually came out of nowhere to win Super Bowl 15, and with it, created possibly the greatest run of the championship in the history of professional football. Now, I ask you, Raider Nation, is our history not filled with the most incredible stories? Hell yeah, it is! So let's now travel back to a time when Ronald Reagan became president, the U.S. hockey team won the Olympic gold medal, the arcade classic Pac-Man video game was released, and Velvet Blazers were popular. And hey, how about when the whole television viewing public was talking about who shot J.R. Ewing on the most popular television show of its time, Dallas. And while we're talking about television in 1980, how about when Catherine Bach rocked the Daisy Dukes on Dukes of Hazard? Oh yeah, that was good stuff. And then there were our amazing 1980 Oakland Raiders. And that is the reason why we are here. Right, Raider Nation? Once again, hell yeah it is. So why wait any longer? The Raiders had prided themselves in being professional football's most successful team from the late 1960s through the 1977 season. And rightfully so. For over a 10-year span from 1967 through 1977, the Raiders posted an incredible 119-28-7 regular season record, plus nine divisional titles, one AFL championship, and a Super Bowl victory in 1976. However, in 1978 and 1979, the Raiders finished at 9-7 both seasons, which for many other teams would be considered a success. But for the Raiders, they looked at those seasons as failures and missed the playoffs both years. A shakeup was coming in Oakland, and it came in early 1980 when owner Al Davis traded Ken Stabler to the Houston Oilers for Dan Pastorini. The Raiders wanted a return to the big-time passing offense that they enjoyed for so long. Even though Ken Stabler was still productive as a short and medium passer, it was claimed that he lost his skill at throwing deep passes. Dan Pastorini seemed like a perfect replacement. He had a strong passing arm, and was four years younger than Stabler. Also, while the Raiders failed to make the playoffs in 78 and 79 with Stabler at quarterback, Pastorini helped lead the Houston Oilers to two straight AFC title game appearances. Joining Stabler in Houston was Jack the Assassin Tatum in a trade that brought running back Kenny King to Oakland. A third trade by the Raiders saw linebacker and one of the most popular players along with Stabler, Phil Villapiano, head off to Buffalo in exchange for wide receiver Bob Chandler. The trades were looked at as boosting the Raiders' offense under second-year head coach Tom Flores. With 11 players still remaining on the roster from the 1976 Super Bowl team, plus the new additions, the Raiders were still looked at as a non-factor to even make the playoffs, yet alone reach the summit of professional football by the end of the season. Despite all the negative remarks about the Raiders having a successful year, 
They began the 1980 regular season on a positive note on September 7th in Kansas City. Dan Pastorini started off his Oakland career on a high note, completing 17 of 37 pass attempts for 317 yards and two touchdowns in a 27-14 win. Both of Pastorini's scoring strikes went to Bob Chandler from 16 and 32 yards out, so it seemed that those two trades were looking good very early on. Pastorini also set up another touchdown with a long completion, and Mark Van Egan finished the drive off with a one-yard run. Two Chris Barr field goals from 41 and 39 yards rounded out Oakland's scoring on their opening game of the new decade. Week 2 once again took the Raiders on the road for a September 14th meeting with the pass-happy San Diego Chargers in a game that saw San Diego quarterback Dan Fouts prove to be unstoppable. The future Hall of Fame quarterback completed 29 of 43 passes for 389 yards and three touchdowns. He was also intercepted four times in the third quarter. Despite the incredible San Diego air attack, the Raiders forced the game into overtime when Jim Plunkett threw an 18-yard touchdown pass to Raymond Chester with 33 seconds left in regulation. Chris Barr's conversion kick then tied the game at 24-24. Other Oakland scores came on a 48-yard pass from Dan Pastorini to Cliff Branch, a fumble recovery covering 11 yards by Willie Jones, and a Chris Barr field goal from 35 yards out. Now, Jim Plunkett was the hero of the moment after coming off the bench to replace Dan Pastorini, who suffered a knee injury while being sacked. In the overtime period, Dan Faust stole Jim Plunkett's thunder by throwing a 25-yard scoring pass to wide receiver John Jefferson in the corner of the end zone to send the Raiders home on the losing side of a 30-24 final score. By week three of the 1980 season, rumors were running rampant that the Raiders were going to be moving to Los Angeles. For this reason, many fans in Oakland decided not to show up for the home opener on September 21st as a form of protest. This was the first time in 11 seasons that the Oakland Coliseum was not sold out. Despite the ill feelings of the fans, the Raiders beat the Washington Redskins 24-21 with only 47,335 in attendance. The Raiders started off their home schedule in fine fashion by scoring on their opening drive. Chris Barr got the scoring honors with a 21-yard field goal. The Raiders remained in control throughout the game, and they added three touchdowns onto their total. Dan Pastorini threw for two scores to Dave Casper, covering 20 yards, and one to Bob Chandler from five yards out, and Arthur Whittington scored on a 43-yard run. Kenny King had a big day, leading the ground attack with 136 yards on 25 carries. Throughout their first three games, the Raiders averaged 25 points and 400 yards of total offense, and it seemed like their high-powered offensive attack had returned. However, a trip to Buffalo, New York on September 28th changed all that. With a balanced offensive attack of their own, the Bills outgained Oakland 325 yards to 179 and beat the Raiders 24-7 and remained undefeated. On defense, Buffalo pressured Dan Pastorini and the rest of the offense all day long. Defensive end Ben Williams was Pastorini's biggest problem, sacking him two times. The Raiders also turned the ball over five times. Now, when not rushing Pastorini, Buffalo's defense smothered Oakland's running game, allowing them a mere 70 yards and kept the Raiders' offense out of the end zone. 
Superstar cornerback Lester Hayes prevented a shutout by returning an interception 48 yards for Oakland's only touchdown. The loss had the Raiders at 2-2, two and two, and the media outlets in Oakland were buzzing with rumors that head coach Tom Flores could be fired any time. There was even a rumor that claimed Al Davis's old mentor, offensive genius Sid Gilman, was already lined up to take over as head coach. Well, with all that pressure coming from the media and ill feelings surrounding fans about the Raiders' possible move to Los Angeles, Coach Flores faced another hole to dig out of on October 5th at home against Kansas City. For it was then that the Raiders' offense took a severe blow when Dan Pastorini went down with a season-ending broken leg in the first quarter against the Chiefs. What made the injury even worse was that a large group of fans actually cheered while Dan Pastorini was on the ground in severe pain. Veteran Jim Plunkett, who had been reduced to nothing more than an observer since joining the Raiders in 1978, replaced Pastorini but could not save the Raiders on this day. The Chiefs opened up a 31-0 second quarter lead and went on to win with ease 31-17. The Raiders rallied somewhat by scoring the last 17 points of the game, but it did nothing to help Oakland's cause. Chris Barr got the Raiders on the board first with a 39-yard field goal and Plunkett threw scoring passes to Cliff Branch from 10 yards out and Bob Chandler from 6 yards away. The Raiders were now at 2-3 and three and looked like a team on an out-of-control spiral toward the depths of despair with no way out. To add insult to injury, the fans continued to show their displeasure for the team's possible move to Los Angeles. For that reason, only 43,513 showed up to give the team its smallest crowd at the Oakland Coliseum since 1968. Following this game, future Hall of Fame offensive linemen Gene Upshaw and Art Shell called for a players-only team meeting about pulling the team together and fighting for the glory that was a Raiders tradition for so long. During the meeting, former All-Pro tight end Dave Casper gave an opinion that was not all that positive. He was unhappy about the Stabler trade and did not seem to practice all that hard and wasn't playing well. The Raiders then made things a lot easier on themselves and for Casper by sending him off to the Houston Oilers so that he could play with Stabler once again. The Raiders were always a resilient band of renegades that refused to give in to adversity. On October 12th, at home against San Diego, and with the score tied at 24-24 in the fourth quarter, Oakland broke the tie with an electrifying, then-team record, 89-yard touchdown run by Kenny King. King also had a 31-yard run in the first quarter to open the scoring and finished the game with 138 yards rushing on just 12 carries. On the ensuing kickoff following King's amazing 89-yarder, the Raiders scored again when Todd Christensen recovered a fumble in the end zone. Cliff Branch scored on a 43-yard pass from Jim Plunkett, Mark Van Egan ran for a three-yard touchdown, and Chris Barr kicked a 42-yard field goal to round out Oakland's point production in this exciting affair. With their 38-24 victory, the Raiders improved to 3-3 three and, three and closed to within one game of the AFC Western Division leadership owned by the 4-2 San Diego Chargers. The magic created by the Raiders in Monday Night Football was legendary. Since the beginning of Monday Night Football in 1970, the Raiders posted a near-perfect 13-1-1 record 
on the telecast throughout the 1970s. And that magic continued on October 20th in a wild shootout as the Silver and Black won on the road 45-34 to over the two-time defending Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers. Both Jim Plunkett and Pittsburgh's Terry Bradshaw had hot arms on this night. Plunkett hit on 13 of 21 passes for 247 yards and three touchdowns, while Bradshaw completed 18 of 27 attempts for 299 yards and one touchdown. Cliff Branch was on the receiving end of two Plunkett scoring tosses from 56 and 34 yards, and he led all Oakland receivers with five receptions for 123 yards. The Raiders were down 17-7 in the second quarter before exploding. Also scoring for Oakland were Kenny King on a 27-yard run, Mark Van Egan on a run from one yard out, a 34-yard fumble recovery put linebacker Rod Martin into the scoring column, Morris Bradshaw caught a 45-yard pass from Plunkett, and Chris Barr added a 36-yard field goal and six extra points. This win over one of their most hated rivals gave the Raiders their second straight victory over division leaders and fourth in a row over the Steelers since 1976. The Seattle Seahawks seemed to have Oakland's number over the previous two seasons, beating them four straight times. This time it seemed the Raiders had extreme confidence after defeating two Super Bowl contenders back-to-back and seemed to be back on track toward their winning ways and looking to add to their glorious tradition of the Raiders. With Jim Plunkett now firmly in as starting quarterback, the Silver and Black rolled to a 33-14 win over Seattle at the Coliseum on October 26th. After being considered washed up a few years earlier, Plunkett showed that his career was far from over. He had another great game, completing 16 of 25 passes for 215 yards and three touchdowns. All of his scoring passes went to Bob Chandler from 5, 12, and 23 yards out, and Chris Barr added four field goals from 34, 38, 30, and 20 yards away to give the 5-3 Raiders their third straight win. On the defensive side, Lester Hayes came up big with two interceptions. In addition, Oakland now shared leadership of the AFC Western Division with San Diego going into the second half of the regular season. Ah yes, it seemed that the 1980 Raiders were starting to mesh together very well after that players-only meeting at the start of October, and by the end of the month, they were ready for their run at the game's ultimate prize, the Super Bowl. All right, my brothers and sisters of the best damn fan base in the world, This wraps up part one of our journey through the 1980 season. I can't wait to get back together with each and every one of you for the remaining parts of this series. And until that time arrives, here comes those words that I live by each and every day. Love you, Raider Nation!